Now we're going to um, read the scriptures. Almost forgot about reading the scriptures. Getting excited about the little Fergie. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and though in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of olors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And my theme today is the praise of the true worshipper. Last week we considered the protocol of the true worshipper. Remember, worship is about approaching God. And how do we approach God? Well, we based it on the words, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, be thankful unto him and bless his name. And that's one of the first texts that greets you as you come into the outer porch on the doors. It's Psalm uh, 100 verse 4. And we told you last week that we 
enter in because we've got a royal summons. We're commanded by God to repent and to believe the gospel and draw nigh unto him. We enter in, of course, on the ground of the right sacrifice, and that's the ground of the shed blood. And that's the only ground upon which we can meet with God, because that's the only way that God will meet with us. We enter in as well because we have got the right submission. We submit to God's person. We submit to God's purpose. It's, it's he that has made us and not we ourselves. We submit to God's provision. We are his. And of course, we enter in because we're redeemed souls gifted with a spirit of praise. We, we come to shout with, with a loud voice. We come to sing praises unto our God. We, we come to serve our God. Now, today we're thinking about the second text, the one on the left-hand side of the door as you enter into the entrance porch. And that text is Revelation 5 and 9. And we haven't just put the text there for decoration. They're there with intent and purpose. We want you to stop. We want you to think as you enter into the building. Who am I coming to meet? I'm coming to meet God. And, and how can I approach God? What's the protocol? And once we follow that protocol, then what does that text, Revelation 5 and 9, says to you? To me, it says one message. It, it's all about the praise of the true worshiper. Listen to what it says. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now, I want you to think. In the context here of Revelation 5, as the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, steps forward to take a book out of the right hand of God on the throne that immediately the four beasts and 24 elders fall down before the lamb and they begin to worship him. And we're told exactly what they sung. We're not left to speculation or conjecture. It's a song of worship to the lamb. They were stating that he was worthy to take the book. And as they did so, they were joined then by a multitude of angels who all sang the very same thing. Look at verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now I put it to you this morning, as you think of Revelation 5 and 9, there's the text, I've read it to you, what is it all about? I want you to think of this. It's about the praise of the true worshiper in heaven. What do born again believers do when they enter heaven? If you think of Bella Gray closing her eyes and time and going out into God's immediate presence and the minute she's there, what does she begin to do? And Friday night at 7.15 when Mrs. Eileen Lowe left this scene of time and went into the near presence of the Lord, absent from the body and presence, what did she immediately begin to do? And here's the answer. They will engage in the worship 
of the living and the true God, worship that's centered on the newly slain lamb. Now, I believe this morning that as we engage in this house for worship, each Lord's Day, we should strive to emulate and experience a little heaven on the earth. In other words, we must strive to make our worship here on earth as heavenly as it can be by the help of the Spirit of God and by the grace of God. It is my conviction that much of what passes for worship today among many professing evangelicals is not true worship after the heavenly sword. Now, three things. I want you to think, first of all, of the prompting of true worship. Look at verse 9. Look at the first word. And they sung a new song saying. You see, John here is given a glimpse into what's going on in heaven. Into what heaven is like. And John here is listening to the saints singing glory. He's hearing what they're saying. He's writing down the words that they're using. And they sung a new song saying. Now, now remember, they're worshipping the Lamb of God. Revelation 5 and 8 is connected by the word and. The word and is a, is a joining word. It's like a nail. It's joining the two verses together. And here's the Lord Jesus. And he's talked about as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's talked about the root of David. The elder informs John that he has prevailed to open the book and thus the seven seals thereof. Look at verse 6. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Do you see that? The lamb in the midst of the throne. And as soon as he steps forward and takes the book out of the right hand of God, by this action, the action of taking the book, he prompted the heavenly throng to fall down and begin to worship him and to say, worthy is the lamb. This was perfect adoration. This was perfect submission. This was perfect praise. The seal book and the action of taking it out of the right hand of God is the key to understanding the message of this chapter and the worship given to the Lamb by the whole company in heaven. In Revelation 5 and 1, we're shown the book. In Revelation 5 and 7, it says, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And I want to say this morning that Jesus Christ is the only one with the right and the authority to take the book and to break the seals thereof. Why? Because he's the redeemer of God's people. He's the kinsman redeemer of all who trust and know him as Lord and Savior. And that's important. And that's the prompting of the worship. Who or what prompts us to worship God? Is it not by faith, a sight of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God? 
Is it not when our hearts and minds are focused on him, when we're taken up with his person and work, when we're fixated on his action, when we're filled with a sense of his authority? You see, when the Lord Jesus took the book out of the right hand of God the Father who was sitting on the throne, what he was saying, what it's indicating is this, that the Lord Jesus himself, he will carry out God's final purposes on this earth. The book in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, that that tells us that, that God is in complete control of the future of this world. It's not out of control. Yes, it's in a chaotic state from a human point of view, but from a heavenly point of view, God is in absolute sovereign control. The book, of course, refers to God's ultimate sovereignty over all the human history of the whole world. The right hand is a reference to God's power and authority. And the book, of course, contains the detailed plans and purposes of God for subduing his enemies, the enemies of Christ, and establishing Christ's reign in the earth. And there's only one worthy to come and take that book. It's found in heaven, in earth, and even under the earth. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And John sees Christ, not as the lion, as the elder said, Not as the the root of David, as the elder said, but he sees him as the lamb. The lamb is the symbol of Jesus Christ. And remember at his first advent, John the Baptist said, Behold the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that word behold means to gaze upon, to to think with your mind, to, to ponder and understand. You've got here the sovereignty of the lamb, only one who can take the book. You've got mention of the slain lamb. And the word slain here that's used twice means that he was cut up. He, he was mutilated as an animal sacrificed. It speaks of a, of a, of a violent, blood-stained, sacrificial death, a, a gory death. And of course, there could be nothing more gory than when you think about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Think about the thorns that pierced his skull, the whip that lacerated his back, Fists that bruised his face. Nails that were driven through his hands. A spear tearing through his side when blood and water came out. He he was truly put to death. And yet, did you notice it says in verse 6, stood a lamb. Not only the sovereignty and the slain, but the standing of the lamb. He's now standing in the midst of the throne. He's alive again. This is resurrection, power and victory. And of course, think of the strength of the Lamb, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The Lamb is awesome. Seven horns and seven eyes. Seven remembers the number of perfection. And the horn is symbolic of power. And the Lord Jesus has fullness of power in bringing about the downfall and defeat of his enemies. The eyes is a biblical symbol of divine wisdom and discernment. The reference to the seven spirits of God are seven manifestations of the the one spirit of God. The lamb is all-knowing. The lamb is all-powerful. The lamb is all-victorious. Have you received the lamb? Is he your Lord and Redeemer? 
this morning? Is that what prompts you to come to worship because you have seen this sovereign, newly slain lamb that's now standing in heaven and who has got immense strength and power, who's all-knowing and all-victorious, and you have bowed the knee in submission to him? Wasn't the purpose of his first coming to seek and to save that which was lost? The lost sheep. Have you seen yourself as a lost sheep? Have you called out, God be merciful to me, the sinner? What's the purpose of a second coming? To deal with his enemies. To put all things under his feet. Remember what Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, said. He said, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. John was given a vision of Christ as of the Lamb, and he discovered the Lamb was worshipped. And those around the throne joined in, and all heaven joined in. And then the whole of the universe joined in. Verses chapter 5 of Revelation, verses 13 and 14. And there's the prompting of worship. And I ask again, as you come to worship, what prompts you to worship? Is it a sight of the Lamb? That you've seen him by faith, and that thrills your hearts. Notice very quickly, I want you to think of the particulars of true worship. It says, and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy to take the book now I I want you to notice the person here thou art worthy to open the book Jesus Christ is worthy of overwhelming praise he is the central figure in heaven you see worship has to do with Worthship. It's being filled with a sense of awe and reverence and adoration for him. It, it's completely taken up with him. It's a recognition that he's deserving of our worship because of who he is and what he's like and what he has done. We worship God through our Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy. Can you grasp that this morning? Over in John's gospel, in John chapter 4 and in the verse 24, the Lord Jesus made this amazing statement. He said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to, to worship him. The Father seeketh such to worship him. To to come before him. To come before him who sits on the throne. To come before his son, the Lamb of God. And to say he is worthy. We enter heaven by faith. We enter heaven by faith to praise and worship God. And as we do so through the Lamb, we engage in one of the most holiest and purest forms of worship ever. And as I've said earlier, when you leave earth via the door of death, you enter into the very atmosphere of true worship in heaven. 
It's an eternal atmosphere. It's one of the things that makes heaven so attractive, so unique. There's a continual, eternal praising of the Lord. Now, we live in the world. We're not off the world, but we're in it. And it's an anti-Christian world. It's an ungodly world. And I think of a man in the Bible by the name of Lot. And sadly, Lot was a backslider. But we read of him in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And delivering just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. You think of Lot. And there he is, living in his day in an anti-Christian age, in an ungodly world. And, and he's seeing and hearing, and what he sees and hears vexes righteous soul every day. But I want to tell you this morning, heaven is different. In heaven there's eternal and continual praise. And it's going on day and night. And you can hear it all the time. From all eternity, the Lord's name be lifted up. From all eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is, which was, which is to come. We live in a world where the Lord's name is taken nearly every day by many individuals as a swear word. A lot of ungodly languages are used. A lot of people have no time or thought for God. They, they mock sin. They, they, they do not believe in the existence neither of heaven or hell. And they have no thought of their soul. And, and you know what? If they only knew the reality, if they only could be made to understand, there's a God in heaven with whom they have to do. In the particulars of worship, we consider the person. Jesus Christ is worthy of overwhelming praise. Notice the praise itself. It says, and they sung a new song. It's in the present tense. It's not the past tense. It's not the future. They're doing it right now. Has he put a new song in your mouth? Even praise unto our God. Do many see it? These four creatures, these 24 elders that represent all the redeemed in heaven. They have never stopped singing and praising God from the day that they've entered there. It's a song of deliverance. It's a song of the soul set free. It's a new song that the Lord has put in their hearts. And every blood-bought soul can enjoy and experience and engage in this song to do with the Lamb. There was a little boy one day had met a man he had two birds in a cage and the man said where did you get those birds and he says I've caught them and the man says what are you going to do with the birds and he says I'm going to play with them for a time and then I'm going to let the cat eat them and the man says oh no I wouldn't want you to do that I'll tell you what I'll buy them off you how much do you want and the wee boy thought uh, being a smart little boy he asked for a very high price but believe it or not the man opened his wallet and gave him exactly what he wanted took the cage of the boy and then you know what he did he opened the door and he let the two birds go and the wee fellow was standing there and the mouth was open and isn't that exactly what the Lord Jesus does we, we who are bound and fettered by sin under the control of this Satan the moment we trust him as Lord and Saviour we become 
among the company of the souls who have set free. And what he does the moment he sets us free, is he puts a new song into our mouth. And we exalt him because he's the Lamb. We exalt him in our prayers. We exalt him in our praying. We exalt him in our practice. We exalt him in our preaching. And we say to our heart, awake my heart and sing. And we don't treat praise lightly. We, 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 we engage in it. We exercise. We, we energize our hearts and minds. We do it wholeheartedly. Notice the posture here. They fell down literally. The four beasts, the four and twenty elders. We may not have to do it literally, but we can do it in our hearts. It's an indication of being in submission to him. Doesn't the Lord demand heart worship? If true worship is a meeting with God, then we can't pay lip service. We can't be flippant. We, we can't treat it lightheartedly. We must not be like the Pharisees. Remember what we read over there in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 15. And the Lord Jesus said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You see, true worship must be heart worship. And it must be based on the scriptures. And when we worship the Lord, we must endeavor to follow what the Bible says. Not, not man-made ideas. Remember the battle cry of the Reformation, sola, sola Scriptura, only the scriptures. And it was the great John Bunyan that said, let thy heart be without words in worship. But let not thy words be without heart. In other words, we give attention to the heart. We can worship the Lord in our hearts silently, even without words. Although if our hearts engaged in exalting the Lord, it, it will overflow in our words. But we need to make sure that our hearts are right. Is thy heart right in the sight of God? Remember, we're coming to God's house. There has to be respect. There has to be reverence. If you come into anyone else's house, you'd respect that. You, you would reverence them and you would be courteous. The Bible says God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And that's a great text of scripture. Remember our gods are consuming fire, the Bible says. And isn't there a lack of reverence and a lack of awe even coming into God's presence or coming into God's house? We can't treat it flippantly. Or lightly. Let's remember who God is. We, we can't behave in an unholy manner. There's a posture here. There's a people here. It says, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. In other words, the whole of humanity. We're given a, a little glimpse into the flock of God in heaven. We may be little flocks on earth. But our Little flock on earth is but a, a mirror image of what goes on in heaven. We even have the number of them there in Revelation 5 and 11. There's a hundred million angels and more. Isn't that a big congregation? Imagine what it would be like to be there, to hear the singing, a multitude, to, to listen to the music, the ministry of praise and prayer, the redeemed of the Lord. What are we? We're learning how God is to be worshipped. 
to, to magnify the Lord. And the central theme is the blood. The central theme is the cross work of Christ. He has redeemed us, they kept saying, to God by thy blood. It's not what they said. It's not tremendous. You see, the blood's mentioned in heaven. The music in heaven is all centered in the blood. The blood's made much of in heaven. And I, of course, feel very sorry for those churches that have removed all references of the blood out of their hymn book. I believe the majority of our hymns should make much of the blood and make much of the cross work of Christ and, and, and make much of the, the newly slain lamb. You think today of worship. You think of churches where there's hip-hop services, where there's rap music, where, where there's rock music, lights are flashing, people screaming and shouting. There's a stage that's set. It's all to mimic the world. But is it the worship of God? Has it got the reference and the awe? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence of all that are about him. You see, as I've said, our worship on earth should mirror the worship in heaven. And what goes on in heaven, we should be striving to, to mirror on earth. So our hearts should have awe and reverence and fear of the Lord. I want you to think of one final thing, and our time is gone. The purity of true worship. I'll just mention it. It has to be scriptural. There's the lifting up of Jesus Christ. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. There's a lifting up of his person and work. The, 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 there must be a, a concentration on the blood sacrifice of Christ. It must be spontaneous. We want to lift our voice to him. We want to, to sing out well. We want to make a joyful noise. It doesn't matter if we're off key. It doesn't matter if we have bad notes. There's no bad notes in heaven. There's no off keys there. But, but, but our worship must be from our heart. It, it's got to be spontaneous. It's got to be sincere. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And it's got to be sacred because we're singing and speaking about the Lamb of God. The one who is worthy of all praise in heaven. Think this morning of the praise of the true worshipper. What prompts us to worship? Is it the lamb as we think about him? What are the particulars of true worship? Remember it's taking into our mind the worth of God. We, we, we come with praise because our mind is filled. We come with this posture. It's heart worship. We come as the redeemed of the Lord. Because he's given us a new song. And we come with that scriptural thought. To offer sacred music. Spontaneously from our hearts. That centers on the blood sacrifice of Christ. The praise of the true worshiper. And those are there on the door. And I want you to think of them as you come into this house. To worship. And remember, you've got the summons to enter in. And here's the praise that you offer as you come. And it's all prompted because of Calvary's lamb. Do you know him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in him? Is your soul ready for heaven and home? If you were to be taken next week or this week into eternity, like Bella Gray was, like Mrs. Lowe was, would you be ready to go? Would, would we be talking about you next Lord's Day, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Thank you for coming.
Thank you for listening.